Hello and welcome to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. My guest today is the ambassador of Colombia to the WTO, Mr. Juan Carlos Gonzalez. That makes two Colombians in a row, and although it was not by design, they do make for great guests. Ambassador Gonzalez tells us about he, how he got interested in international affairs and how his varied experience is serving useful as he is an ambassador now in Geneva dealing with multilateral affairs. I hope you enjoy the show. Take it away. Hello, and welcome to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. I'm very happy to be here with the Ambassador of Colombia to the WTO, Mr. Juan Carlos Gonzalez. How are you today? Thank you very much, Rodolfo. I'm doing very well. How are you? <laughs> a bit warm, the, yeah. the summer in Geneva, but... Yeah, it's, it's a bit... It is warm. It is... Uh, I don't mind the, the, the heat, but sometimes it's a bit too much. <laughs> yes. Uh, so... Well, I, I'm very happy to be here with you, and I have a, a couple of questions that we can address during our conversation. But to begin with, where, where are you from uh, originally? I'm from Bogota, Colombia. Bogota. Yes. Uh, you you were born there and grew up there? Yes, pretty much, yes. How was uh, childhood there in, in Bogota? Well, it was, it was uh, uh, very uh, interesting. Col uh, I mean, Colombia, as you know, is a particular country with uh, many diverse uh, regions and uh, and uh, and the, the funny thing about being from Bogota is that you're from a city that is 2,600 meters uh, uh, above the sea level yeah so it's actually a rather cold city in a very warm country because we are pretty much close to the equator so that means that uh, that uh, that uh, from Bogota you have a bit, a bit of a being the the capital of course uh, it is uh, the melting sort of pot of the of the of the society in Colombia, uh, but at the same time, you tend to forget that you live in a in a tropical country. Yeah. So that's why it is important to be in Bogota, but also to travel around Colombia because it offers so much. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's uh, something similar to what happens, I guess, in Mexico City. In Mexico City, also it gets pretty pretty cool, and the rest of the country is warm. Exactly. <laughs> so, but but how was your what what does your father and mother do? How was your family life? Well, uh, my dad he worked for a multinational company, a U.S. company, uh, and my mom uh, a housewife. Housewife. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, like almost all Latin American families. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's I think uh, fortunately for many reasons also uh, changing a way that of course uh, uh, women also have the opportunity to to develop their professional career. It is of course challenging uh, for uh, many, but I think that, that that's something that it, it, we see the roles also uh, evolving, yeah. which is important, I think. Yeah. And uh, when you were growing up, did you always want to become an ambassador? Well, uh, I always wanted to have an international career. Okay. I just I remember that being a child. I don't know how much that influenced my, but there was a my parents they put a world map, you know, yeah, on in my room. And I and being a child uh, very, since very young, I learned all, pretty much all the capitals or many of the capitals ah, of the yeah, world. Yeah. And I remember always wanted to to travel and to see new places and to have an international career. So that was very clear from very early in my life. And uh, so this was 
kind of around you, but was any encouragement directed by your parents? Uh, not really, not really. I just, uh, I was always very curious. And, uh, and something that was interesting about Colombia, because of our history and all that, it was that we had, uh, in general, Colombia wasn't a country of uh, migrants, uh, if you compare to other countries in the region. And then we went through the period that we had a, the problems with security and, uh, and all that. So it was not very common to see foreigners uh, in Colombia. It was you, you could never see uh, or hardly ever hear an accent. Yeah. So that meant that uh, foreign uh, things in Colombia were a bit of a rarity. Uh, yeah. So to me, I was always curious to explore the world, uh, even more so because it, it wasn't something that was so, so evident to us. And uh, you mentioned a bit about the security issues. This came a bit later in, in your life? Yes, when I was growing up, Colombia up to the 80s, uh, I remember that in my school, one of the best things that we had is that we travel around the country just to do on excursions and, you know, uh, uh, seven days or so walking around the mountains, the, the, the beautiful places in yeah. Colombia. That was something that unfortunately in the late 90s and in late 80s and through the 90s, it became very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so uh, and actually I remember in, in, in uh, early in university, I, I had to go, or we had to all go in Colombia through the period of, you know, bombings and things uh, around our cities, uh, something that fortunately is past. Uh, but of course that also marked, uh, I think, the, my life and the lives of many Colombians. How, how do you think it affected your, your life? Uh, well, I think you learn to appreciate uh, many things in, in life. You don't yeah. take uh, things for granted. Yeah. Uh, the fact that uh, the, uh, that uh, things can, can change in any moment. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, I think you, you learn to appreciate opportunities. Yeah. Uh, it was very, I, I was very lucky early in my life that um, I was able to go and exchange uh, through my university to the United States. Now it is very common for people to go overseas, but this was in '89, uh, and uh, at my university in Bogota, Los Andes, there was this exchange program with the with the U.S. that was based on a demand and supply. So if you had uh, ten foreigners coming to the university, then ten Colombians could go overseas. And it happened that right uh, when I was uh, on my way to 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 the U.S. on that exchange. Uh, a very prominent uh, uh, candidate uh, who was poised to be the president, uh, Luis Carlos Galán, in 89, he was murdered yeah. uh, by the drug lords. Yeah. And that meant that all the, all the Americans, uh, in that case, wanted to come to Colombia, cancel there. Oh, yeah. and, and I was fortunate that I had to go to the U.S. a bit before to study English, so I was already there. So they, so they couldn't send me back, <laughs> but you see, uh, otherwise, uh, so it, now it is of course much more common to, to find opportunities and to learn and to travel, but this is of course be, before the time of, of email and internet and all that, uh, so, uh, so uh, uh, that, was, <laughs> that was something that just, uh, just to, 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 to show that, uh, that, uh, that it wasn't so easy to venture uh, and to learn about other things. Yeah, and uh, this was a program uh, during your bachelor's degree? In the exactly, exactly. As I was uh, studying economics in economics. Colombia, um, I, uh, I, 
I wanted, of course, to have the opportunity to, to go uh, overseas to improve my English. Uh, so I went on exchange to, um, to a small liberal, college, uh, liberal arts college in the US, yeah. which was specialized in, in foreign affairs. Okay. Uh, and it's called Lewis and Clark College in Portland, in yeah, Oregon. Yeah, I, I know it. So, uh, so I went there uh, for a year, and that marked my life uh, very early in my, in my studies. And was it, you decided to become an economist because you thought that this would be the way into this uh, interest that you had? Yes, yes. I think that uh, economics uh, was uh, flexible enough for me to decide what to do later. Yeah. So it, was, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't too specific. Uh, it was a sort of a structure uh, for the, my way of thinking, which I think it did actually help me a lot in the in the future. But at the same time, for me, it was more sort of a, a, an approach. And, and and then I said, maybe I will figure out exactly what I will Later. do. But economics is a good basis. Yeah, I, it's true. <laughs> and how was the, the how were your student days? Well, it was I I really enjoyed it. Uh, um, I. Um, uh, let's say my my uh, school days. I went to a sort of traditional Colombian school, so I am very much uh, uh, in touch with uh, with uh, the realities uh, to some extent of what happened in Colombia. And at the same, and later I went to Los Andes uh, in in uh, the university in Bogota. Yeah. And what I liked about Los Andes at that time is that it gave me all the flexibility to do what I wanted to do. So I could take any class. Uh, it was sort of the American model. Not it is wasn't same class. Everyone taking the same. Uh, no, you would choose your own, your own uh, courses, do whatever you want, and that allowed me to for me to. Explore. To explore, to go to the U.S., to get the the credit I needed. I actually, from the U.S., ended up going for a year to Japan as part of the, well, I, uh, 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 it was funny because I went on exchange through my exchange. So I jumped <laughs> to the so to the sister school of the of Lewis and Clark in yeah. Japan, and Los Andes gave me the flexibility to, to, to actually accommodate that. Uh, so I really enjoyed it because... Uh, because I was able uh, to sort of tailor-made my my undergrad uh, uh, degree, uh, what well, I wanted to do. That's pretty much how it is in the U.S., but it's a rarity in, in Latin America exactly. education. Exactly. And um, you went back to Japan eventually uh, as a, in your position, no? Yeah, it's true. It's, it is... Uh, uh, well, I was the first time I went to Japan. I was about 20 or 21 years old, and uh, and it was uh, when I was in Lewis and Clark. I decided that uh, well, if you think about 89, 89 is the peak of the Japanese uh, economic boom. Yeah. Uh, so it was at the time when Japan was going to overtake uh, the 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 U.S. Yeah. Similar <laughs> to, uh, I, I sometimes I I make parallels with you know, with what happens now. Sometimes uh, the rules are different. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was very interesting then, so I said, well, uh, how am I going to differentiate myself from the rest of the of people? Maybe I should do something different. Yeah. So I said, most people, if they have a second language, they will learn English. But most people, if they uh, learn a third language, they will not uh, yeah, uh, learn Japanese. So I, uh, that school in the U.S. had a very strong uh, program in, on Japan studies and, and language. So I uh, started taking Japanese, and I loved it. And through that, I went to, to that school in Japan. I lived with a family for a full year, which was a life-changing experience. Yeah. I lived in Sapporo. And later, uh, some years afterwards, after I went to graduate school and all that, I went back to Japan as, a, as to be in charge of economic and trade affairs at our embassy yeah. there. So, so I was very happy. It came full circle. I was very happy <laughs> to be able to, uh, to capitalize on that personal experience. And also, of course, I, I really enjoyed uh, living in Japan. 
And how's, how's your Japanese now? Well, I was uh, in Japan pretty fluent, uh, and I still, you know, uh, uh, understand and, and, and can talk in Japanese. It's not the same level that I had in Japan because it's the kind of language that you have to practice, practice. but... Uh, but I think that uh, uh, languages, uh, they, they operate in different parts of your brain. Yeah. And uh, so uh, the one where Japanese is, is, is holding in there uh, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And uh, so after you came back from Japan, you went back to, you went back to Colombia? Yes, uh, after the, the, the exchange, first the, yeah. the exchange, yeah, I went back to Colombia to finish my degree in, in economics because then I you took like a two-year break yeah. <laughs> on exchange. And then I went to Colombia to finish my degree, which I actually ended up writing my 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 undergrad dissertation. Uh, um, uh, um, uh, what is it? Thesis or a dissertation uh, document on the economic and trade and uh, political relations between Colombia and Japan, and it ended up being published by the university. It was sort of a, the the first document written on uh, Colombia and Japan. It w was it on economic terms, or was it like on a broad brother? It was in a broader sense, sort of putting in context what was the relationship of uh, Japan with the Latin Latin America, and yeah. then Colombia in that context, and the potential for the future. Was was there a lot of uh, connection or exchanges at that time? Well, Japan, uh, but Colombia is a country that, even though uh, it has a very uh, important uh, coast on the Pacific, yeah. it hasn't been. Uh, it has been a country that traditionally, because of economic history and all that, has been has been always uh, looking mostly towards the Atlantic. Yeah, this is something that fortunately has been also changing in the last uh, decades and a few years with the emergence of cities such as uh, uh, Cali, yeah. which is not necessarily on the coast of the Pacific, but it is close to the Pacific. So as to look more west to, uh, to the, to, to, towards the, 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 the west, I mean to the, the east. Uh, but Japan and Colombia have a strong relationship. Uh, and of course, as, as we looked uh, in those years, it was the most important trading partner of Colombia with Asia being, for instance, a very important market for our coffee, uh, becoming an important market for our cut flowers, mm -hmm. uh, for our emeralds. So there were some, even then, there were some niche opportunities that were growing, and also, of course, investment as well. Um, yes. In Mexico also, on the, on the West Coast, there's a lot of Japanese uh, communities, and they actually me Mexicanize the, the sushi. Yeah. So the sushi <laughs> that I know... It's not the real sushi, but it's like Mexican sushi, and it's its own thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, in Colombia, as related to what I uh, mentioned before, uh, as compared to especially Brazil and Peru, which have large uh, yeah. Japanese uh, or people of Japanese ancestry, we in Colombia is very very small. But it's actually around the city of Cali that they came mm. in the 1920s. Uh, so it is. It is. Uh, it is. Uh, it is very small. So it, those kind of ties were not so strong as, for instance, countries like Brazil and Peru had it. So it still, it was something to explore. Developing, and um, well, you seem to have like a really varied experience that uh, seems uh, perfect for someone who to be dealing with the foreign service or with trade diplomacy. But how was your start? How was your first position after finishing your studies? Well, I've been back and forth mostly between foreign affairs and trade. Yeah. Um, what I did uh, basically is when I finished my undergrad, I went. I worked for the foreign ministry 
in the econ economic affairs, multilateral affairs, uh, political. I worked for about three years, and then in the I, I worked as an advisor to the deputy vice minister. Um, then I took a break to gra to go to grad school. I went to the United States on a Fulbright exchange uh, program to uh, Seattle, the University of Washington. Yeah, I did something in international stu studies with a focus in. Um, Asia, yeah. Japan, and, and, and a lot of about actually in foreign investment. Okay. And then I went back to Colombia to work to, with the agency for the promotion of foreign investment into Colombia. So at the time it was a mixed entity organization, backed mm. both by the public and, and the private sector. Not an easy time uh, to promote investment in Colombia because that was uh, in the late uh, 90s. So it was the, 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 maybe the most difficult political problems that we had uh, at the time uh, in sec security and so on. Uh, uh, although interesting because then you had actually to work with the companies so they don't leave. It was more than, than getting new companies. About, it was about retaining the yeah. ones that were there. Fortunately, that has changed a lot in the last, uh, in the last 20 years, Colombia being, becoming a very important uh, uh, destination for foreign investment. But going back to me, <laughs> uh, uh, I, uh, I, uh, after that, I, uh, I went to Japan to work at the embassy, trade and, uh, and economic affairs. Uh, then I took again a sabbatical. I did an MBA in, in Melbourne, in Australia. Okay. And then I went back to the agency that had merged with, uh, with uh, ProColombia. So then in Colombia, we merged all the promotion uh, organizations. So instead of having one for uh, investment and one for um, and exports and one for tourism, it was merged under one single entity called ProColombia now. And I was the head for investment promotion for the country for 10 years. Mm. was a very interesting period in which I had to, to sort of set up the, the arm of the Colombian uh, promotion and facilitation agency uh, to, to work with foreign investors coming to Colombia, but also to help Colombian companies uh, invest overseas, the two ways. And then after that, I was uh, appointed ambassador here to the WTO. Well, it's a really varied experience. Uh, I'm just curious to how was, after your studies, how easy or how difficult it was to, for you to join the government? Well, uh, I, I, after my undergrad, yes. it, it was well. Again, I had this, this always this uh, interest. interest in in doing something international. And when I when I graduated from uh, my undergrad, you know, uh, many people studying with me, they were going to work for the private sector, yeah. you know, stock exchange and those sort of things. And the others, most of the others, have were to have more like technical, econ, economic uh, jobs, like uh, going to the central bank or the, to the planning agent department. And I didn't feel that I, I wanted to do either way. Hmm. I said, you know, where is that that I can pursue something that it would be different? And then, I, I it happened. I happened to to see that they they, they were looking for people to to work at the foreign ministry, at the time. And it's still the case. Sometimes you can join the foreign service, but sometimes you can enter the the ministry for special pos for positions without being uh, part of the foreign service. Yeah. So I decided to 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 join in that way, and that's how I I uh, I was I worked uh, my first uh, opportunity working for the foreign ministry for three years. And uh, you've also done a lot of studies. How complementary do you think this is for the development of a career to study? Because then, if you study, you learn a lot about the theory, but then the practice, it's different. 
or, yeah. or do you see them as the same? Is it beneficial? Yeah, of course. Well, to me, it's been uh, I've been lucky, uh, but also to to be able to to take breaks and to uh, focus on what I wanted to study, um, so as to uh, learn, implement, complement what are the the practice that I had at, at, at work. So I think in, in in for me, it's been always very useful to 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 to. to or it was useful to to stop, think, and and deepen my understanding of things. Going to university and focus on different things, uh, uh, I found it very useful. And it was it was rewarded to to you because sometimes when you leave to study, it's difficult to come back. Mm -hmm. And some people sometimes they don't study because of yeah. this limitation. Did you find that or well? Of course, uh, there was always uh, the the risk, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but uh, to me, uh, I've been always uh, lucky. very <laughs> lucky, but always eager to take the risk yeah, and uh, and to change. I I think that uh, as much as possible, I've tried to 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 get out of my uh, comfort zone, uh, and that means uh, jumping from one opportunity to the other. At the beginning, the change, of course, is a bit uh, uh, can be difficult but then when you look uh, uh, backwards uh, I always think that uh, the incrementality of what you learn is is, is really it's something that can be taken away and exactly. it's useful to exactly. the future it's true and um, what do you think was the most important thing that you learn uh, in school that you can apply in in real life in work professional life well well, um, well well, it depends on 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 what uh, the level of the uh, of the of the opportunity, uh, I'm different levels of the studies that I did. Yeah. So let's say from my um, um, from my undergrad, uh, I would say, of course, uh, uh, economics uh, gave me a structure the way you approach things, which is of course different for a bit from what a lawyer would do it or maybe an engineer. So that um, and uh, and. And something that really struck me, I think, was when I lived in Japan, was to have, at an early age in my life, to to see the way that such a different society uh, would look at the world. Just to see that that having that experience, both in the U.S. and Japan, of of being able to, that was very important to me to 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 um, to, to see, and then. Um, um, uh, really, I valued a lot the opportunity of studying in the U.S. both at the, in the undergrad and in the master's degree, because the way they teach you to think. Yeah. I mean, the way they they you, you approach a problem, the way the way you have to write a paper. Um, sometimes in Latin America, we're used to just you know, Redu like repeating whatever. Yeah, yeah. and you just uh, no the 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 structure, uh, the thinking process uh, that I got uh, through that uh, um, uh, first liberal arts education in the U.S. and then in in graduate school, it was very important to to frame that, and then what I in 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 the in the in the. Uh, since I had such a, a, a rather good experience work, working with and from the pu public sector, when I went to business school, it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to jump into business, but I wanted to understand better the way the business and the private sector thinks. Yeah. So it was a good complement to my experience from the public sector. Yeah, it's true. There are, there are two different forms of thinking, and it's good to have both uh, 
both uh, ways. Uh, and regarding, I'm a bit curious, regarding what you said about your experience in Japan, uh, where you were experiencing maybe some of similar challenges that we're experiencing now. I mean, I don't want to get too much into this, mm -hmm. but what are some of the parallels uh, you see and some of the lessons that we can take from, from that? Yeah, well, it wasn't so evident uh, when I was living in Japan. Japan, uh, I th uh, um, because then I, I wasn't studying, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, economic, I was studying Japanese, yeah. and so, but my master's degree in the U.S., which was in the 95 to 97, Uh, I focus a lot in the political economy of development and uh, looking a lot of Japan and then other uh, East Asian uh, East Asian countries. Just to before I answer your question, but sort of the question that I had is in my in my mind is how come Asia developed faster than Latin America? Yeah, that's a good. Uh And what is, what, the, what is the reason? What is the reason? Yeah. And then I thought maybe that there was an Asian model, uh, you know, because at the time you would see uh, Japan and then Korea and then Southeast Asia and then China was starting uh, to emerge little by little. Yeah. We're talking, it wasn't so, so fast at the, at the time. Uh, it, that of course, it became much faster in the 90s and so on. Uh, So the question that I wanted to see is, okay, what is it that happens in Asia that is not happening in Latin America? Later I learned that, of course, there was not an Asian model uh, because the case of Japan is different from Korea, Korea is different from Singapore, Singapore is different from Malaysia. Of course, there, there were some commonalities, and this is before the Asian, the, uh, the Asian crisis. But anyway, go, going, uh, going back to your question, Uh, 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 studying uh, the uh, at the time from I, I, I studied from the U.S. perspective, what had happened in the U.S. bilateral relations with Japan when it, when they had all the the, the tensions yeah. uh, that led to 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 the U.S. requesting uh, to Japan uh, to to change and to reform many issues in their society because. Uh, Uh, they argued at the time that there was no access uh, to the Japanese market and these sort of things. Um, and you had the specific sort of macroeconomic tensions and uh, uh, political uh, uh, tensions. And at the same, at the same time, the sector-specific uh, uh, problems they had in the car sector, in the supercomputers, semiconductors. So, of course, there is similarities in terms of the of the of the of the um, of the rise of a new an upcoming uh, uh, economic uh, power, power. Uh, that of course changed after the 90s uh, because uh, the Japanese economy started to to decline a bit because of the bubble uh, burst and all that uh, but when you think about it of course many of the things that happened this is before the WTO yeah. uh, so uh, there is difference of course in the rules that could apply at the time Uh, the thing that the Japan or other countries were able to do before that is different than what countries could do now because of the rules that that, uh, that we have now, and of course there is differences uh, politically in terms of the relations between the different countries. But a lot was also done bilaterally between, which is also the case where it's being done. Of course, you are not uh, familiar with those discussions, but you do see a way forward between that. 
Uh, well, at, at, the, at the time, at the time, of course, there were there were uh, uh, yes uh, uh, bilateral uh, things that that at the end I think uh, uh, um, some of those changes in in terms of the of the of the Japanese economic structure uh, I think it was important. I think many changes started in Japan at the time. In part uh, because of the of the pressure, but also because of then also they had the burst of the bubble. Yeah. So uh, there were things that were needed in Japan in order to to become more efficient and so on. So so at the end, I think that that uh, that that was uh, also a process that that was important. Uh, another thing that you mentioned during your studies and career is understanding other cultures. I think that's very vital for multilateral relations how how do you think that we can implement a bit more of that sensitivity to other countries to to progress in our multilateral efforts that's a that's a that's a good uh, question well um, um, at the end i mean one of the of, of the of the of the big challenges uh, when you're negotiating is of course understanding the the others uh, yeah. needs and putting yourself in the other one's uh, shoes and if you do it bilaterally that's a challenge if you're thinking about 164 members so at least you know within those there's a lot of diversity of interest Uh, uh, culture and perception uh, uh, become also very important So I guess uh, something that I learned, uh, which is very to me is very basic, but it is very important, is that is to listen. You have to listen and you have to think twice before reacting. Uh, and keep in mind something that people uh, think it is easier said than mm -hmm. than done, but is think about the way that person is approaching that same issue. Uh, before you react, or at least take into account uh, that that the way that other person might be framing the same issue, uh, and that's important for to 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 to, pro to in any process. Yeah, it's true, and um, I mean the WTO has many functions. One of them is a negotiation function, which uh, has been slow, but there, and usually people think to focus on the negotiation function as one of the main or more attractive functions of the WTO. But what I always keep uh, repeating is that there's many functions and there's also like the function of the regular committees, uh, transparency, which are not as attractive, but they're still there and they can be improved. Uh, so sometimes I feel that the focusing on the negotiation aspects of it or the dispute settlement aspect Distracts from the other functions. Mm -hmm. Is this a correct uh, assessment, or? Well, I I I I think I agree with you. Uh, to me, is uh, is uh, uh, like many things in life, you tend to take for granted uh, what you have because it sort of becomes obvious. Yeah. So for many people, it might be is like oxygen. You don't <laughs> realize that it's missing yeah, until you don't have it. Uh, so the WTO is kind of that. It is it is something that is very important uh, and the rules, but been many times now our generations maybe we take it for granted because we have we don't know what it is what it is to live without rules. Yeah. So it's something you know, uh, and and uh, so the importance of that is is actually uh, embodied 
in the regular uh, functioning of the WTO. And, and personally, I had a very good experience, and thanks to, of course, to the to the to the trust of the membership. But early when I came here, I was I, I was appointed chair of the TPRB, yeah. the Trade Policy Review Body. And to me, it was a very very interesting experience personally, but also it showed me the value of the transparency pillar of the of the WTO, and uh, and uh, the importance of countries uh, having the chance to show what they're doing and to others to ask questions and to have all this exchange. And I see also a lot of value in in very specific uh, uh, committees. Uh, for instance, the TVT committee, the SPS, because it is not having that locus, uh, locus of the place where people can discuss, learn, think what is going on, uh, have a sort of a preemptive discussion that might allow people not to go in the further in the to disputes. Having the major agencies and people involved dealing with SPS or TVT in one in one room having formal and informal contacts. That is very, very important uh, for people to, to, to take advantage, having in one place everyone answering questions, uh, also sort of getting a sense of what can come ahead, you know. Uh, the value of that uh, exchange, I see, is, uh, is very important. Uh, actually, for, from our perspective in Colombia, if you think about negotiation, of course, for us, negotiation is very important in several areas. But when it comes to trade access, we have actually, through our bilateral and regional no, agreements, a lot of access. Mm -hmm. So how is that you materialize that access? You know, it's many times it's through, you know, uh, SPS, TVT, these sort of things. And you can, of course, deal with that bilaterally, but the complement to that is doing, done here. And it is very important to complement that by uh, multilaterally and very useful. So we have seen in the WTO and in the work of the, of the committees, for instance, a very strong tool to complement our bilateral trade diplomacy. You, you're right, because sometimes you can do it bilaterally, but it's more effective also if people also hear it from others and maybe they they understand. I don't want to say that like the name and shame, but this somehow is always there. And also others might learn from this. Not It's not beneficial only for you. That's, that's exactly the way we, we, we saw it is, it is a way to, to, to deal, of course, many things you deal with them bilaterally, but at the same time, there is many things that uh, it is here that you learn and then you say, oh, I hadn't realized that is going on. <laughs> That's important to me too. Or someone yeah, can, can learn from you. Uh, and in many ways, there is this peer pressure that might get uh, many times at least things discussed and, and hopefully solved. Uh, yeah. uh, so in that sense, the, the WTO and the, the scenario that we have is very important for that. It's true, and uh, like I said, sometimes this is like taken for granted, and it's, uh, so it's a looked. shame because it's it's good to think how useful this is. And um, I, I the WTO right now is undergoing a very since as long as I've been working on this, there's always said that the WTO is a, has been in a crisis, but somehow this time it does feel a bit different. Uh, there's a uh, there's a lot of issues going on on different uh, levels and on different intensities, and there's also the stagnation of the appellate body. But what do you see? Mm. I, I don't want like to hear like about uh, maybe this is like a personal view. But what what do you think is the way forward mm -hmm. to solve this uh, impasse? And how does the WTO need to change to face the new challenges? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well. Uh, um, 
People say, yeah, that is, you know, I've, I've heard this before, that uh, that the, the, we've been, or the WTO has been in a rough time from a while ago, but this time is different. Um, I see, although I recognize personally the challenges in this situation, uh, I see a lot of value and potential in this situation. Uh, because, uh, and I can just tell you from my personal experience since I arrived in the, in the WTO, and to some extent being someone that was uh, uh, rela uh, that, I, that had a relation with trade, but from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. I wasn't negotiating rules before that. I was working with companies in Colombia, uh, both foreign and Colombian companies. And when I first came here, I uh, this is 2016, um, uh, I saw there wasn't a crisis, quote-unquote, like the one we might be having now, but I found that there was no interest no, was, uh, I mean, people were not looking at the WTO much. I think people were sort of, uh, I would say, just, just, uh, just uh, resignated to a certain you, extent. You mean like the WTO community or from the outside? In general, uh, I mean, uh, in general, I think I, 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 I didn't see much drive uh, for change, hmm. you see? And I tell you from my perspective because the WTO wasn't much on the news. Uh, when I came here, not many people knew exactly what I was, I was going to do, except <laughs> from people dealing with this. Uh, so in that sense, there was no momentum, yeah. I think, for uh, considering uh, uh, changes, you see? Yeah. So, of course, uh, what we're facing now is, uh, is challenging, but the attention is here. We have the opportunity and to, to, to generate, generate change, because I don't think people anymore take for granted the WTO and the rules. Of course, challenges mean risks as, at the same time. Uh, but I think that you have the attention of the major minds of the world, both at the technical and political level, in terms of what is what we're going to do. That wasn't the case three, three years ago. So I guess that the momentum is, uh, is, uh, is there. And of course, some people might say, okay, this is a momentum that it is actually not going to lead us anywhere, or is it going to lead us somewhere? I'm more on the op optimistic side. I'm yeah. the kind of person that thinks that that at the end, everyone will realize that, uh, or is has, uh, that this is important, that we have to preserve it, that we have to strengthen it. And, and, and how to do it? Of course, uh, it is a very complex uh, uh, scenario, but overall, my, the way I see it is you find people, it is, there is two, 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 at least two ways to look at this. There is people who think that the WTO has done too much and that the rules are not necessarily good for them. And there is a lot more people yeah, that yeah. say that the WTO has done, hasn't done enough, yeah. that it has to do more. So it is about finding the right balance between those two. It is uh, around present, preserving and strengthening the, the, the system. How to get there and how to balance that, of course, that's the big, uh, uh, the big, uh, the big uh, uh, challenge. But I think both sides are interested in having a, a system. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, and then we have to work it out. Yes, it's just different approaches, but uh, they have a common goal. Uh, another thing I want to hear your thoughts on is, since I've been here working with the WTO, I've seen in the last couple of years uh, strengthening it in the cooperation of Latin America as a bloc. Uh, do, do you see it the same way? 
Yeah, well, yes, and what's that's something that we have uh, uh, tried to 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 promote, and it is uh, under flexible uh, arrangements to look at the opportunities for uh, synergies on or work together, and uh, and uh, and I think that uh, the the core uh, the core. Uh, Group of of, of, of countries uh, working together, depending on the issue, has been Mercosur plus uh, Pacific Alliance. Yeah, and then depending depending on the issue, some others will come in, or some others or some will not be there. I mean, so so flexible and working it also at different levels, technical level, sometimes at uh, at uh, uh, representatives, permanent representatives uh, level. Um, and it was started, I think, to some extent recently with the the fact that the the first uh, uh, vacancy that came up in the in the appellate body was the one that had a that was a Latin American member. So as we gathered together to 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 work on uh, on 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 launching that process yeah. and the candidates, this group of of of, of members started working together. And then it was expanded to, let's say, the work that uh, the, some uh, um, uh, Latin American countries, including Colombia, have had uh, proactively in the fisheries negotiations, being one of the groups that has been uh, proactively working there uh, in a flexible uh, uh, configuration. configuration. Uh, in this case, the sixth Latin group includes also uh, Panama and Costa Rica. Yeah. Uh, so I guess it's a way to, to, to find commonalities in a flexible, pragmatic way and see how is that we can work together. But this was a, a conscious effort then that started uh, when the appellate body? That was like the moment you can pinpoint? I, I could, I, uh, uh, well, I could, uh, yeah, track it uh, back to that mm -hmm. uh, as the moment in which we started coordinating uh, on a specific uh, issue. And then uh, the second moment w was uh, in the fisheries negotiations. Yeah, because it, it is evident from from looking outside to that, and I was just wondering if that was the, really the intention, because it does, there's certainly common interest, and I think that that's the way forward, to coordinate together between groups to get like a better, that way you have like less positions and a bigger audience yes and of course uh, this is something that uh, it has, it allows us to in a, a informal pragmatic uh, flexible way to consult what people are thinking and as, as new things emerge you know the discussions on possible ways to reform and all that I think ha having that uh, cloud of, of looking at your peers and see how they're looking at things is important um, well just two more issues that I wanted to hear your thoughts on one is that uh, Colombia has always been a, a source of really good talent in uh, multilateral relations, and, but specifically in trading. Uh, there's a lot of talent there, and I think, I mean, I, I mean this with the utmost respect. I think that Colombia punches above their weight. Is that something that Colombia? How does Colombia do it? Uh, is uh, to get the talent and to promote the talent and to make sure that the talent is received. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you <laughs> very much for that. Um, I think is it is it is. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, of course, I, I, I think as I as I, as I replied to your question, but there are several things. I we have uh, good universities, um, and uh, Colombia is usually in the mood court, like one of the exactly. <laughs> so this is this is this is something that is ingrained in the system. 
and we had a we had a tradition of having a strong team in our in one our Ministry of Trade, Industry and Commerce, Trade, Industry and, and Tourism. Sorry, uh, so that has also uh, given the opportunity to to these uh, uh, Colombians to have the opportunity to work, to study, to come back to the ministry. As many of them actually uh, have been to this mission. Actually, just to give you a, 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 a fact, uh, two of the ministers in uh, the cabinet of President Duque right now have worked at this mission. Yeah. Our current minister of uh, telecommunications and IT and all that uh, was a counselor here and also our minister of agriculture. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there is a sense that, 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 uh, that this is a knowledge that is valued. Uh, and that can be used afterwards, both in the public and the and the and the and the private sector. And I guess also um, uh, the fact that Colombia is a friend of the system, a country that believes in the system, that a, co a country that wants to strengthen the system, provides the opportunity for these people to contribute, hopefully in a very constructive uh, 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 pos uh, position that allows them to also uh, uh, develop their professional skills. Yes, uh, well, that's pretty good uh, example that you mentioned because it is not. I don't think it's that common, but I think that in Colombia, it's notable. And uh, well, the last uh, thing I wanted to hear your thoughts on: what would be your advice to people wanting to get into this field? Uh, like you said, in the for the longest time, this field seemed to be not in the news. But now I think everyone knows <laughs> something about trade just because of the news. And there's a lot of interest of people wanting to join the, this uh, field. What advice would you give to, to those? Well, I think that it is very important for the organization to have trade experts and specialists, but also it's important to have a uh, diversified source of pool of people with different perspectives. Yeah. Because as, as trade becomes more uh, uh, diversified, it, it enters new areas. Uh, if you're talking about, of course, e-commerce or fisheries, or uh, I think I think I think there is opportunity for anyone who who is interested in this. You see, uh, so I guess it is. Uh, if you're interested in 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 this area, pursue it. And uh, and uh, and uh, and value your own uh, preparation uh, in order to see how is that best fits uh, an opportunity dealing with multilateral trade. And you would recommend it? <laughs> That's another. <laughs> yes, I I think it is a it is a personally for me it's been a very interesting unique experience. As I mentioned, I come from a, a bit of a different background in the sense that I was working with companies focused a lot in, 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 in business and, and investment. But the, the OUTO uh, is sort of, a, to me, it's like looking at the same element, but from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. It's like if you look at a car and you look at it from the top yeah. or, or you look at it from underneath. Yeah. It looks completely different, but it's the same object. Yeah. So having that complementarity, I think, is very important to understand what is going on. Well. Thank you very much, Ambassador. I don't take, uh, I know you're busy, but I really appreciate your taking this chance to speak with me. Rodolfo, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.